spring? Is that you? Warmer temps mean new Allbirds styles. Meet the Superlight Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. These must-have travel shoes have a lighter-than-air feel and barely-there fit that made them the most packable shoes ever. Plus, they're comfy right out of the box. That means more comfort and less baggage. Experience how Allbirds is redefining comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com, code SUPER24. Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov slash careers. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, you are listening to a listening to a rad legend broadcasting premiere podcast. Damn you, Hollywood! And here, here, here's your host. But um, here's your host. He's currently on the bottom of me. I'm on top of him. He's on the bottom. Ladies and gentlemen, he's back, face and all. He's just a sexy boy, Robert Winfrey. Yay! I will not be doing the Shawn Michaels dance. <laughs> he's just a sexy boy, sexy boy. Rob Winfrey is not your boy toy, boy toy. Please don't do that. <laughs> like, I would legitimately rather listen to Kurt Angle do his rendition of that with. Uh, in the build to his match with Michaels at WrestleMania, then listen to you sing it again. What if I change the pitch slightly to something more within my octave? No. He's just, just a don't. sexy boy. What if I do it like jazz style? He's just a sexy boy. Sexy boy. It's like more baritone. That you like? <laughs> I like think I Robert would rather listen to my dog bark than that. Do you like it when I go deeper? I would legitimately rather listen to the cacophonous cackling of ha- canines. Hey, spe- speaking of cacophonous ca- cackling... Ladies and gentlemen, Alexis Hain is back. Yep. And we are very glad to have her. I was here last week. And you you're are. back this week. And you're back this week. Why do you have to, what are you, my wife? Why do you have to argue with everything? <laughs> Jesus Christ. Uh, glad to be back. Sorry again about uh, the Labrador. <laughs> sorry about the Labrador in the background being noisy. Our neighbors, for some reason, have been deciding to do more outside activities. And I no matter what, I can't get her to stop alerting me to their presence. On, on the Metal Hammer of Doom well, Extra, could be important. We, on the Metal Hammer of Doom Extra, or the Metal Hammer of Doom for that matter, when we say activities, it usually means something um, cardiovascular. Uh, so, like, what are they doing on their lawn, and why haven't the cops been called? Or is that just kind of the neighborhood you live in? I don't know. 
more like they're just sitting out on their porch having a drink and talking loudly. That's boring. Hey, speaking of which, I live, uh, what talk- know, I live around a bunch of old people, okay? What are we talking about tonight, Robert? Amazing how fast Mark shifts gears when he gets all judgy, isn't it? <laughs> one minute I care, one minute I care deeply about the state of your emo- of your well being and your life, and then as soon as he decides boring, hey, let's move on. That is exactly right. As soon as you've lost my interest, we need to move on because I am really the audience for this show. I am both a part of it and the audience. Quick question, Robert: What's the castle on your shirt? It's kind of wrinkled in the front i can't get a clear look at the oh, silhouette it's, it's deliberately wrinkled this is not a castle that's the dark tower oh thank you i'm wearing a shirt that says groot loops i you... am wearing nothing on my shirt but i have a dragonfly necklace yeah, mark Great. would he mark would absolutely take the loops of groot i really would all oh, right tonight God. tonight ladies and gentlemen we are discussing the brad pitt starring vehicle the action comedy bullet train you know who directed this? The same guy that did uh, Hobbs and Shaw. And Deadpool 2. And Atomic yeah. Blonde. And Ato- yep. That, all of those. Which explains reviewed. that cameo in the third act. Um, all of which we've reviewed on W2M. Plug, plug. Very true. Hmm. Oh, yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. I forgot about that. All right. So that's the movie that. So, Mark, very briefly. You know, we, August's. Uh, it's a dead zone. This is the yep. movie studios giving us all the finger. Weirdly, it's deader than it was last year. Last year, we at least really had like well, Suicide really is. and a couple of other ones. I mean, it, August might have done better had it not been for the unnamed virus of unknown origin. But um, this year, this is like 2018, 2017 August. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. it's been a while since August was this dead. Where, like, back in the day, we used to do our summer wrap-up this month because there was nothing else to talk about. And now we're back to there being nothing to talk about, but here we are. We're talking <laughs> yeah. Bullet Train, and the next couple of weeks we'll be talking streaming movies. Yep. I was going to say, this has been a uh, popular time for streaming services. We've got a lot of shows that have come out in uh, in this yeah. last week. And I have a lot have, more that are coming out soon. I have a lot of negative things to say about The Gray Man. It's not a good movie. Okay. Well, you can wait for two weeks. Instead, I hey, why don't, we talk about, why don't we talk about Bullet Train? Yeah, let's talk about Bullet Train. Um, this is on so the you schedule. Ask me like, you, I was going to say, you were going to ask me like why we're I doing would, this? But not why we're doing this in the sense that, you know, why, oh, why, oh, why? I'll ask that later. <laughs> we're doing sure. this because I dropped the trailer in the chat when it first came out, and I said, pretty please? That'll work. No, we're doing this because I was taking my kids, and there was nothing else to talk about, and I wanted to do Damn You Hollywood Weekly. You took your kids to see this? I took my kids. Are you kidding me? Lily, come here. Right. Oh boy! Come here, come here, come here! Love of my life. Hi. <laughs> Tell the good people what a great father I am, and how much you wanted to see <laughs> Bullet Train, and that you were so happy that I took you. I was happy. I enjoyed it. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for doing that like a hostage. Was that a Nezuko on her shirt? <laughs> Is that Nezuko Probably. on your shirt? It's Shinobu. It's Shinobu. Yeah. Thank you. Sorry, she ran in out so quickly I couldn't see. Uh, it. No, she didn't run. I pushed her um, <laughs> off the bullet train. <laughs> so we'll be discuss. So that's the movie on the agenda this evening. Uh, yeah, I was not. I didn't have a lot of expectations going into this. So just very briefly, Mark, did you have any? 
I mean, I saw the trailer like everybody else. Uh, as Alexis pointed out, she dropped the trailer in the um, in the group chat, and almost every movie I've taken my kids to for the past like six months, we've seen this bullet train trailer for. Um, it, for you know, for my daughter, who's the big uh, was it cinephile when you're a big fan of the Japanese, um, she uh, yeah. She she was into it because of that aesthetic. My son was like, this just looks like a coolest shit action movie on a train. I was like, okay, you know, good enough reason for me to see it. I didn't really have any expectations beyond that. I figured it was going to be a fast-paced action movie, very stylized. Um, and I figured it would sort of almost fetishize the Japanese culture. Uh, and I was more or less not let down. It's um, it definitely feels its length. We'll get into the craft review yeah. momentarily. I don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves, um, but I would I would tell you I got mostly what I expected out of it. All right, Alexis, you mentioned this kind of tickled your fancy when you first saw the trailer. So, any expectations you had going into this? It looked like a fun, stylized action comedy. I was very impressed with the casting. I like action movies where they have to get really creative with their sets and such. And the fact that this whole thing takes place on a train, multiple cars within the train, but still on the train, that was what really got my curiosity going. I like seeing a director who can think outside the box and really utilize a set piece like that. All right. So the... A plot synopsis, is, which I'm going to give you, it's not going to do this movie justice because the movie is deliberately fragmented in various places. I was going to say, mm -hmm. please tell me you're not going to go through the whole plot and story because that alone is going to take up the whole show. Not in order. <laughs> like, I'm not, I'm not going to redo this as the movie did it. But uh, the basic crux of the setup here is we follow a character that we know as Ladybug, played by Brad Pitt, who's a covert operative of some variety specializing in theft. He is called in last minute to replace some douchebag named Carver. Don't name your kids Carver. Uh, on this smash and grab job where he gets a briefcase full of $10 million from a couple of guys. And as he goes on the train to try and retrieve it and get off, we're introduced to the other cast of characters that we're going to be following here. Uh, we have the father figure uh, played by, I recognize the actor, I can't remember, Andrew Koji whose son was pushed off a roof, you know, like you do. And he is here seeking vengeance on the person who pushed, who, uh, you know, put his kid in a coma. And it is a younger girl of Russian descent who is manipulating him. We're introduced to our pair of adoptive brothers played by Aaron Taylor Johnson and idiot from the Eternals. Brian Tyree uh, Brian, Henry. Brian Tyree Henry. Thank you. Uh, much better here than in the Eternals. <laughs> they are escorting back a the son of a crime boss and have recovered the ransom that was to be paid for him at the same time. So he so Brad Pitt steals the briefcase from them. It gets taken back. Uh, along the way, we briefly are introduced to a Mexican hitman who dies fairly quickly. Uh, later on, we get a view of the Hornet, another assassin, and all of this is, there's a lot of hijinks, there's a lot of action, a couple of good fight sequences, some inventive stuff with people trying to get on and off the train. The thrust of the plot is, uh, a bunch of different characters are theoretically after the White Death, who is a Russian who immigrated to Japan 
and took over the largest crime family of the Yakuza. And now his daughter wants to kill him and take over his empire. Uh, the father, his father, the uh, character known by known as the Elder, played by the guy who played Scorpion, actually, uh, Hiroki Sonata, Hiroyuki Sonata. Sorry, misread that. He wants revenge because he was part of the crime family that the White Death took over and killed everyone else in the process, including his wife, but he escaped with his son, and now his long-sought vengeance is coming to pass. And all of this is kind of coming together in the great in a great big mishmash. At the end, when the White Death shows up, he reveals that, no, this was all his doing. He got everyone on together on this train. He wanted them all to die because everyone involved was in some way, to his mind, responsible for the death of his wife. Except for Ladybug, who is replacing Carver, who was the actual person <laughs> yep. with a great Ryan Reynolds cameo, which I'm assuming was the twist for the Brad Pitt cameo in Deadpool 2. In all probability. Uh, the only negative thing I have to say about this movie, the only seriously negative thing I have to say about this movie is I didn't get to, I expected the uh, post credit scene to be Brad Pitt finding Carver and killing him in retribution for putting him through the worst day of his life. Well, you Alas, just want to see somebody kill Ryan Reynolds. I do. I rewatch Buried, and it is just a laugh a minute. I love that thing. Ryan Reynolds dying on screen is always a good time. Uh, anyway, the bullet train crashes, because of course it does. We get a final standoff. Uh, everyone, everyone winds up dead, except for Ladybug, the two Japanese gentlemen, and... Funny bit at the end where the uh, the Russian's daughter is killed by a passing fruit truck that is revealed in a mid-credit scene to have been driven by Lemon. Uh, which I was about to be very annoyed by that death because I hate that. Like, why does that? Why does the driver not see the person standing in the middle of the road? Like, there's mm -hmm. no reason for that. So when they gave us that, no, it was it was Lemon getting revenge on his for his dead brother. Like, okay, it was actually pretty clever. And the fact that he was driving a tangerine yep. truck. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, their, code names for this were, their code names for this were Lemon and Tangerine. Uh, Lemon being uh, Brian, Brian Tyree, Tyree Henry. Henry and Tangerine being Aaron Taylor Johnson. And at the end of it, uh, Ladybird, or Ladybird, Ladybug, Brad Pitt goes off with Sandra Bullock, who's been his handler over the phone for this entire movie, embracing a slightly more positive outlook on life. There's a long-running gag about him being in therapy, trying to better himself as a person and the other running gag is the terrible terrible luck that brad pitt's character has because does it seem to matter whatever <laughs> he's doing bad things happen to him and he comes out on the other end of it but you always have you always wind up going what are the odds you know yeah it's bad odds? stuff either happens to him or anyone in close proximity to him so he's always like it's either happening to me or it's rubbing off on someone else yeah so that's kind of, again, like the, the, the juice from this movie is not the plot. It's the execution. It's the characterization. It's the acting. It's bits of the writing. Like that's what you come to see this for. So like I said, a, a recitation of the plot along its various twists and turns is not really going to do the film justice. So. All right. Um, Alexis, what'd you think of the movie? I really didn't have a lot of expectations going in. I had heard positive, but not overtly positive stuff from other reviewers about this. Uh, the phrase style over substance kept getting thrown around a lot. So I was a little worried that this was going to be a very 
absent-minded kind of action film, but I honestly enjoyed it. it. So many people use the phrase a roller coaster movie nowadays, and they're usually talking about like Marvel films and superhero films in general. Mm-hmm. I disagree. I think this movie is the pinnacle of a roller coaster film. It is a fun ride. It's, you know, it's very, it, it's not the most engaging film in the world, but you still really enjoy it. The action set pieces are very creative and very well done. Again, utilizing the limited space that they would have on this train and really making it work. I love all the bits where they have to continually break up the fights because somebody shows up and they're, and they have to stop. Otherwise they're all going to get thrown off the train. Right. You know, you get a great scene in the quiet car, which I'm sorry, that was absolutely (laughs) hilarious. Uh, You get a great scene in uh, I, I guess it's like a beverage car with uh between aaron taylor johnson and brad pitt where they stop and he so he can get a bottle of sparkling water and that made me laugh so hard um i w- apparently this is also the film that we can thank for uh aaron taylor johnson appearing as craven the hunter because supposedly this the scenes from this are what got sony's attention and hired him for that role that was pretty cool. So if that one movie... can only one can only hope his career will survive the catastrophe of being attached to a Sony Spider-Man adjacent project. Pretty much. Um, I thought all the actors did really well. Uh, there was a handful of that I did not know were going to be in this movie. Uh, the trailer actually kind of keeps you guessing on who's playing who and who's coming across who. I didn't know Zazie Beetz was in this uh, as the Hornet, and she's always fun. I think she's a great actress. Yeah, so, I uh, I kept thinking that the handler was um, Scarlett Johansson. Um, <clears throat> she gone that way, yeah. I there were times where her voice was deep enough, and then it wouldn't get nearly as throaty as Scarlett tend to be. So I was like, oh, I don't think that's her, but it sometimes sounds like her. And so it ended up being Sandra Bullock. I was like, ah, Lost City. Okay, I got it. The movie also does a really good job keeping you entertained with all of the individual stories. With you have a movie like this with a large ensemble of intertwined characters it becomes very hard to keep the audience interested in all of their story arcs and everything that's going on now there are some of the characters that die off a little quicker uh, like the hornet we don't get to spend as much time with her but i think that's a smart move the movie knows to introduce get us engaged and then get rid of some of these characters it doesn't become long and drawn out and the characters that we want to see more of we do get to enjoy more of so Again, I think this was a very well-written uh, movie, and it's a lot of fun. You know, this is the, again, I, I call this a roller coaster movie. I was laughing. I was enjoying it. I was really getting into the fight scenes, the crazy amount of gore that we got. I mean, this is a bloody as hell movie. <laughs> For what it is, yeah, yeah. They, they yeah, I, I got talking with my mom about this very briefly because I saw this today and, you know, said I enjoyed it, which gives anyone who knows me a heart attack anytime I say I enjoy something. Oh, poor Robert. <laughs> I can't imagine why. No, no, not that you don't have a history of that sort of thing. No, no, no. Can't imagine. Again, I can't imagine why. <laughs> uh, but you know, I, I mentioned, you know, this is an R movie and it deserves to be R, but it's, it's, it never quite gets to the point of gratuity. I mean, maybe a little bit near the end, you could argue it, but I don't. It doesn't think really I, get splatterhouse. No, it yeah, it never gets it never gets all that gory. I mean, even the profanity doesn't actually go all that far. Think, this, can you this imagine? Is, can you imagine this, but directed by Quentin Tarantino? 
Yeah, like, I, I, like. until um, I saw, until I saw the director, my my thought process of this movie was going on was okay. So if like Guy Ritchie and Tarantino got together and made a movie, it would kind of be this. Yeah, I don't know. I think if Tarantino was in charge, and a lot more of the deaths would have. Okay, let me put it this way: we have a scene with multiple people coughing up blood and blood coming out of their eyes. That would have been ten times more projectile oh, if it yeah. was Tarantino. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, w- much more projection, of course. But yeah, and hell, even the little thing with the, the what, what was the name of the snake? The boomslang. Boomslang. Yeah. So even that, I thought was a creative little touch because you start wondering. You see this freaking poisonous snake running around, running. Bad choice of words. Snakes, <laughs> snakes on a train, baby. <laughs> Well, somebody had to eventually make it. But even the quick reveal of the snake, and then they cut back to what happens when the snake bites you, and you realize that's what happened to the gangster's son. Yeah. So, yeah, little pieces do fall very nicely into place. It's one of those stories that can come across as contrived, but I think they do a good job of setting it up and letting everything lay where it does so it, it doesn't come across as contrived. The big way they get away with that is the same way that... Uh, there's a long-running manga slash anime series that I, because it's so weird, I profoundly enjoy. Uh, it's called JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. Oh, good God! <laughs> <laughs> I feel like we're referencing that, that like hard, weekly now. That's a hard anime to get through. You have to be willing to sit down and really engross yourself in that. Yeah, like you've got to enjoy what it is. You have to understand what the appeal is and be willing to take all the various bizarreties around it, but. Uh, one of the things that makes a lot of the stuff in JoJo's work is they actually, they, it's it's canon to the story that fate exists. Like the 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 force of nature, for whatever, for want of a better phrase, that is fate is real within that universe. So the fact that this movie goes out of the story goes out of its way to say that luck slash fate is kind of a real thing that takes place, you you're willing to take that ride as long as they give you an excuse to go along with it. And it was a smart bit of writing to make that kind of a central theme around, especially our main character and just, you know, kind of almost a God's perfect idiot kind of thing. It's not quite that, but it's close. Cause I mean, God's perfect idiot is the, uh, you know, unable to fail no matter what you do. And he's not that, but you know, he's a little bit of everything that can happen will happen. <laughs> Robert, why don't you keep going? Um, unless Alexis, you had anything else with your craft review, since I know <laughs> everyone usually has to wait for Robert to kind of come in and piss on everything. But you were so high on this movie, I kind of want people to hear you um, gush, <laughs> gush about a movie for once instead of me going next because I don't have that much to say. And I would, I think, it, I think it would be more entertaining for people if they actually got to hear you say something positive. So, Alexis, unless you got anything else, you're okay with him going next. Go for it. Uh, I'm with you on the performances. They're all really good. Uh, Aaron Taylor, John Saren, uh, Tangerine and Lemon have really good chemistry. Like those two play off of each other exceptionally well. Uh, There's the constant joke about them being twins and we discover they're adopted brothers, but they play off each other like siblings. And that's a hard dynamic to get right. Especially not just as an acting thing, but as a writing exercise, it's really hard. It, it tends to come across as too forced one way or the other. So that worked out really well. 
Uh, I like most of the action. Uh, there's... I think my major criticism of this movie is a couple of things. This is overlong. This needed another pass-through editing. Like, yeah. I mean, the, the official runtime here is what is two hours. We're 126 minutes. God, it felt two and a half hours. I, it, there were parts of that movie I didn't think it was going to end. Yeah, there's stuff in the middle, especially that really could have been trimmed. There's a, uh, there's just a lot of tightening that could have been done. You know, we're going to talk about this when we talk about Prey next week, I believe. Um, the difference between a tight 90 minutes and a flat 100 is not 10 minutes. It, for mm -hmm. the viewer, it's exponential. Like that difference is everything. Yeah. This this drags a bit. And every day we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At US Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov slash careers. That's okay. They, they do a decent enough job of kind of filling the time. It's never, when I say it drags, it's never full-on boring, but there's definitely different places where you question you know, what's going on with, you know, why are we reiterating this point? Why are we back here again? Some of this is geographic because we're in a confined location. So you wind up seeing the same places, which can be a tricky thing to try. It can give the audience the impression that the you know, progress is not being made narratively. Uh, so I actually think they handle that fairly well, but uh, yeah, it, it, this is needed to be tightened up. It really needed to be tightened up. Uh, the final train crash, I mean, they're going to crash the train because, of course, you're going to crash the train. You're on the, your movie is called Bullet Train. The train must crash. I get that. I didn't hate the visual of Brad Pitt kind of floating back through the cars <laughs> as the train crashes. Like, I didn't hate that. But there's a lot of that crash sequence that made me kind of roll my eyes that just didn't quite connect. Um some of the action is the action is a little bit when I say it's a little bit uneven. Some of the stuff is really good. Uh, the fight, the fight in the quiet car that was mentioned is really good. Uh, they're trying very hard to be quiet. I actually like the fight between Ladybug and the wolf. Uh, it's just a it's kind of a fun little introduction to what Brad Pitt's character is capable of physically. But there, there's other bits of it that fall a little bit flat and just not quite as good. They do a decent job of blending CGI and reality. Uh, I'm going to yell about this when we talk about The Gray Man and movies that can't blend CGI and reality all that well. Because, oof, that that movie. But it's not, it's not all that bad here. I just, this movie strikes the right tone. It's an action comedy. You know, if you've got especially a slightly darker sense of humor, as I do, you will laugh at this. This is a funny movie. I mean, the bit where Brad Pitt goes, wait, someone hired you to kill that guy and then take his own ransom money as payment? Oh, that's dark. <laughs> uh, you know, the stuff with Brad Pitt's character is he's talking through some of what he's gone through therapeutically and trying to get his, you know, get his life together. The reveal that... It's weird. Know, it, it, it almost felt like a Tyler Durden, but like a Tyler Durden who's like gone through therapy. 
it's not like talking about it's not like talking about his fight club life but like after he's gone gained some you know insight into himself like it, you know it, you, it, met it, it a, like, you made a really it, weird you met me at a really weird time in my life yeah, <laughs> it, I was it, gonna it, say this wasn't a role built for Brad Pitt, but he does give it a very certain. You do feel yeah, like it, he's been there and he's seen some shit. Like, like I said, he comes across as Tyler Durden post midlife crisis. Yeah, <laughs> uh, he's very charming in the role, and again, this is a that character could have gone very badly. You can see any number of ways any other other actors would have tripped and stumbled with this character, and Brad Pitt doesn't. So. Kudos to him. Uh, yeah, uh, I I like again. I like the tone. They balance humor and action very very well. There's enough stakes that are believable that you're, you're willing to take the ride. You you wouldn't be surprised if anyone dies at any given point in time. I genuinely would not have been surprised if Brad Pitt's character died at at the end. Like mm -hmm. genuinely would not have surprised me. So they. You have tension around all the major characters. It's a good bit of writing. Uh, yeah, it's a little bit overlong. Not every joke is going to land all the time. Uh, so, again, some of it is some of it just doesn't quite. Some of it doesn't work quite as well. I mean, the scene where he's in the bathroom trying to just wait out for the next stop. Not a scene we needed. Like that, that could have been reintegrated. That the plot points there and the character work could have been integrated elsewhere. That the needed to be a little bit. The, that playing with that the smart needed to be a little bit more, yeah. more claustrophobic and a little bit more tighter shot. Maybe some close-ups of like him sweating or something. Like it, there are times where you can tell that David Leach is not really a subtle director. That he is, he is up for the bombast. Like I was thinking, you know, yeah. granted it was a long time ago and I was going through chemo at the time, but we reviewed um, Atomic Blonde. And I, it, now that I, I'm now connecting the two movies and thinking about it, like Atomic Blonde's best stuff was the fighting. Um, but I remember there being a lot of static camera work and like when it needed to be dynamic, it was dynamic. But then it was like when it's just two characters talking, it's literally just sort of put the camera there and let it go. And so when you talk about that bathroom scene, that's another really ex good example of, you know, as you're as you're shooting, you know, you're discussing principal photography, you're setting up for shots and you're, you're plotting out your shooting schedule. There has to be some discussion about maintaining aesthetic quality throughout. And yeah. there's almost sort of a tacit. No, 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 no. I just want the action stuff to look cool. The rest of the stuff, when there's no action happening, I don't need it to look cool. That'll just be carried by performance. And it's like, Hey, maybe make sure the whole thing is consistent this time and not just the parts you think are cool. And I'm almost wondering if it, that's just not, he's just not capable of that. Because again, same problem with um, Hobbs and Shaw. As silly as that movie was, they were very capable action sequences. And then it was just point and shoot with the rest of the, with, with, with the dialogue scenes where there's, you know, it's not really lit particularly interestingly. It's just sort of, it's almost as if his directing style is hurry up and get to the action, that the dialogue is here for uh, efficiency, and he doesn't really care about it. Yeah, that was a several, there was a big problem in Deadpool 2, more than Deadpool 1. I, I think Deadpool 1, uh, Ryan Reynolds' creative input in that definitely helped that movie feel a bit more dynamic when there's not big action set pieces going on. 2 had that same problem. 
so yeah, I, I think that's very true. I think it's an accurate, you know, assessment of uh, critique of the guy's directorial style. But this movie largely understands the brief. If you want, like, I agree with Alexis about it being kind of a roller coaster style movie. Like, if you want to take the ride, take the ride. You'll probably have fun. You'll laugh. You'll enjoy some. You'll be moderately wowed. There's a few different twists and turns. Like, I genuinely got a kick out of the big twist at the end when Michael Shannon is putting the gun to Brad Pitt's head and goes, and now the last one is you, Mr. Carver. And then we flash back to, no, I'm just filling in. Like, that was. I was genuinely a little bit like I shouldn't have been got by that, but I, I I'm cause the whole time you're kind of waiting for the shoe to drop about like, what's you know, what Brad Pitt's doing here. Like you're waiting for something there and then nope, wrong place, wrong time guy. <laughs> like you're just John McClane. Quick question. Did you read the book? I have not. No. Okay. I, was, I am curious to see how much of this, was directly adapted from the novel and how much of it was invented wholesale for the movie, which we don't know. The the book itself was also led to a bit of controversy over our favorite words in the English language, whitewashing. Yes, I understand this was made for an American audience, not not for an Asian audience, and so Americans got casted, not a lot of Asians. This is one of those things where I understand the, the phrasing you use, and I'm not after you about it, but this is one of those things where because nobody can keep context. Actually, Andrew and I just had this conversation where everyone gets hyper focused on their own agenda and their own bullet points that nobody sees context. And so yeah. it just becomes about screaming your your social agenda and not about seeing the forest for the trees in any way, shape or form. So I, I can't even entertain the whitewashing argument because what are you people fucking assholes? Like this thing is made for a wide a, a wide international audience, starting with America first. It's not going to have an entirely all Asian cast. It's just not. Now there is also a bit of an argument, and I'm curious what you guys have to say about this because you know who better to comment on you know racism and whitewashing in film than a couple of middle aged white crackers from Utah, Missouri, and Florida? Hey, I'm from New York. You live in Florida. <laughs> I'm a transplant. Yes, Alexis. How, you're, you're how long have you lived in Florida versus how long did you live in New York? I lived in New York almost my entire life. I've only been in Florida since 2005. So almost 20 years. Yeah. What you mean? <laughs> I'm 46. I'm just saying <laughs> that, 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 that ratio is tipping rapidly. <laughs> Okay, so someone pointed out that even though, yes, this the, the original story is centered around an all-Japanese cast, and this film has two prominent Japanese actors who are, I would say, not really the main characters. No. Someone else pointed out that the movie does also include uh, two black actors, two, I would say, very talented black actors, Brian Terry Henry and Zazie Beetz. So what's the beat? Do you guys? Hmm? Uh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I was going to say, do you guys think the inclusion of more non-white actors into originally into roles that were not originally black but were not originally white balances out at all the whitewashing, or do you no, think it, that that's just a okay. stupid idea? So Judge Rattle is just going to throw this entire case out, and here's why. <laughs> um, you cannot negotiate with terrorists. 
no amount of <laughs> no wrong. amount of casting of your uh your favorite type of people was going to make anyone satisfied it just wasn't and here's the thing the idea of making a movie is to make money and so when 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 there's casting about and there's development the thing that gets asked is what's going to put the most asses in seats who can we get to do this so unless you're making an asian film for an asian audience um you just got to throw all that out and then you go in and you say okay what stars are available for this who wants to do this who do we get yada 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 um that's going to give us our most bang for our buck so if in that discussion you're like well well how many blacks does it take to get this argument over none zero it nothing will make anyone out nothing who focuses on this sort of thing will ever be satisfied they'll never be enough until you've wiped out all the white people uh in the movie in the movie nice safe <laughs> that was a that was a very pregnant pause <laughs> nine months um, <laughs> oh my God. um you, you there's just there's no there's no satisfying the insane so robert get, you want to do 20 words or less and then i can do my craft review uh look even if you hit the mythical perfect ratio whatever that happens to be and it changes seemingly on a daily basis then everyone would be pissed that you hit a ratio <laughs> Like Mark's yeah, right. Not... Like there's, there's no, there's a, there's a subset of society that screams about this kind of thing and there's just no talking to them. Yeah. You know, the, the same people that are a little bit annoyed by this. were yelling at people for complaining about Heimdall becoming Idris Elba. Yeah. Like All right. <laughs> the, yeah. there's just no talking to these people and fine. Be irrational about this. Just acknowledge you're being irrational. Or not, or you know, or how about the adults in the room just ignore them entirely? Like you can't no, no, you you can't ignore them. Well, you know, bad you things I, happen when you ignore them. I so occasionally I go I go back through the clips that I've cut out for TikTok of movie reviews that we've done, and I was thinking back to um, when we did I think it was Moonfall, and we talked about like Roland Emmerich, <laughs> and and Roland Emmerich got in trouble because he bashed Marvel movies, but he didn't really bash Marvel movies. He got asked a question in the middle of promoting Moonfall. Yeah. And he was just like, yeah, I don't really like I, I, was it it was Soderbergh who said I don't want to I don't want to direct a Marvel movie. There's not enough sex. And I think it was yeah. Roland Emmerich that was like Marvel like who kind of did the the Scorsese thing of like Marvel movies are just ruining the film industry because this is all anyone this is all this is all the studios ever want to make because it's the only thing that's making money, was I think was yeah. the argument. And he that, was like, yeah, that was the crux of his argument. And mm -hmm. sadly, he was pilloried for it when he's not right. Look, you, you and I talked about this, like there's a degree to which he's wrong, mm -hmm. but there's a significant degree to which that point is correct. But the reason I bring it up related to the point that Alexis is raising um, or is bringing forth, not really raising, I'm not putting this on Alexis. I don't think Alexis is sitting in the is sitting in the room going should have been more Asians. God damn it. You know, um, just wanted to raise a discussion point. I hear you. I was, and honestly, the whole thing about someone saying it's like, well, we added black actors. Doesn't that chat you up? I that wasn't my thoughts. That that was somebody yeah. commenting on Twitter who promptly had his ass handed yep. to him. Yep. I, I just wanted you. to bounce the idea and let's see what you guys had to say about it. Yep, yeah, I got. I, I hear you loud and clear. Mm -hmm. um, the what ends up happening is again related to the case that you're bringing up is no one hears the argument. No one was listening to Roland Emmerich. No one listened to Steve Soderbergh. No one listened to Steve Spielberg. No one listened to Martin Scorsese. They Dude, decided... Just, just for the record, about Scorsese, 
if you go back and actually read, you and I did this, Mark. This is why I'm reading Yeah, we went up. through the whole article. We went through his essay. Yeah. And the crux of his argument that these people are not good stewards of cinema. When you look at what's going on in something like HBO Max or other studios or other streaming platforms and like how they cycle through stuff and what they like. Scorsese was, uh, he was ahead of the curve there. More people pres- should have listened. He was prescient. Um, actually, the I, I listened to a little bit of the Prey review on uh, Red Letter Media's Half in the Bag, and they made a joke about how films are not going to be able to be viewed with you know with all this infinite bandwidth to watch movies on a variety of streaming services. We're actually going to get less and less movies to watch as movies are now taken off streaming services and then nobody can show them anywhere. Things like that. So yes, Martin Scorsese ahead of the curve. In any case, no one listened to that. All no one heard actually heard his argument. He said a thing. It got clipped out and wrote about in, in entertainment rags, and no one saw that either. They just saw the headline: Martin Scorsese took his dick out and pissed on Marvel. And everyone, <clears throat> with their religious zealotry, went, "No, not my favorite thing. Burn down Hollywood." It's the popular view argument. Yeah, same really thing is. here. I mean, nobody, nobody's interested in having a nuanced discussion about what sells a film these days in a market that is rapidly, you know, bankrupting itself. It's, you know, my, 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 my thing isn't being listened to. And then another person yelling from across the room, "Your thing is shit to begin with," and no one talking to each other, no one listening, and it's all very terrible. Say, unless um, you're James Cameron, that's not so. <laughs> Sorry, so, he's his comments lately have been very assholeish. <laughs> he's he getting it. He know. Hang on, let me say it because I know because yeah, yeah. we, we're both, both both about to say the same thing. He knows the writing is on the wall for Avatar, and he's getting ahead of it before. Yeah, he, uh, mm-hmm. he, he's already making the excuses for why this thing is going to be a failure before it's a failure, and everyone goes, "Oh, the magic is gone." The magic of a twenty-odd-year-old movie where the thing that sold it in the first place is now old hat. The devil, you say? Yep. I stand by what I said before, Robert. You're lying about how he doesn't make movies. He makes tech demonstrations. I have co-opted that. That's you are welcome teacher. to do so. Hey, my thoughts on this movie. Um, I think it's a very pretty color palette. I think uh, one of the things that I think sells the movie is how the color on the train pops. There's a lot of really bright contrasts of color. It is costuming. a gorgeous movie. It really is. Um, the uh, the costuming uh, on the different characters and how they contrast because it's a lot of like Aaron Taylor Johnson fighting Brad Pitt and then Brad Brad Pitt with Brian Tyree Schmigegi and you know and that you know and so um, I think there was at least a sharp eye to make sure and nothing here, nobody, nobody was he beats in an anime costume. <laughs> yeah, um, and I think there was a lot of care to make sure that everyone's costume sort of complements each other as we're going to be doing a lot of one on one with them. Um, so I thought that that was all very eye popping. I enjoyed Brad Pitt's performance. Again, it kind of sounds like Tyler Durden, you know, but you know, on Xanax, um, <laughs> which I liked. I, I, the archetype of the cooler, cooler than the other side of the pillow action hero, um, while I enjoy it, is there's a reason why it's a trope. Um, we don't get a lot of the I just want peace, reluctant hero guy anymore. Um, that's what made John McClane, I think you brought him up before, so interesting was he didn't want to be there. And he was just sort of reacting to the to the whole world erupting around him. Oh. And, you know, and he wasn't anything special. He was just 
he, he was a cop that was just sort of reacting to what was happening. Well, you, you bring up two different points there um, when it comes to that trope. Uh, because in that same vein, I will argue this up and down. So mm -hmm. please don't argue with me. Just accept that I know what I'm talking about here. Commando's the same way. Like, Arnold Schwarzenegger's character in Commando has no interest in what he's doing. He doesn't mm -hmm. want to be there. He is blackmailed into it and then, you know, burns down the world to save his daughter. Fair play. Right. <laughs> but it, the difference between McLean and John Matrix, uh, which was Schwarzenegger and Commando, like the difference is one of them just a regular cop who's in over his head and doesn't know, and the other is a highly trained. Right. You know, <laughs> Commando well, Rambo, the title. Rambo features. had the, the, the same issue. Um, yeah. Not, not even talking about First Blood. First First Blood is a, is a meditation on post-traumatic stress disorder um but uh the second one you know he is reluctantly you know fighting off a prison sentence in yeah. vietnam and you know and then it and then it's like i you know fool me once you know i hope you don't betray me again and of course they do <laughs> um but now that you mention it, it it does feel like this was something of the days of yore and not something we see very, very you know now now i think and I and I wonder how much of that is people's you know, appetite it, it's, for infallible heroes. Like they just want everybody to not have an arc and just spend two hours kicking ass and not changing a single iota. Uh, yeah, that's what we get. I mean, I think it's an oversimplification just to lay that all at the feet of Marvel, but Marvel does that a lot. Like it, it's not that there's no journey for that. Hang on, listen, hear me out before you before you get get that face. It's not that there's no journey for their characters. I, I don't mean to imply that. Because their characters do go on journeys. They do learn things. But none of them really fundamentally change outside of their origin movie. Mm -hmm. Like Iron Man in the beginning of Iron Man and the end of Iron Man is different. Iron Man at the beginning of Iron Man 2 and the end of Iron Man 2 is not really different. He's just cured of dying. Yeah, and this is true of all of them. Mm -hmm. um, minor exception for Captain America. No, I would say by the end of the Winter Soldier. Yeah, he, he... changes. Winter Soldier changes him for sure. I would argue Civil no, War. No, I was going to say it doesn't. By the end. Well, uh, hang on. Uh, I would. Here, I don't want to argue okay. the, the merits of all these things, but just real quick, I don't. I, I think he has the same problem with Winter Soldier that Iron Man has in Iron Man Two, which is the world around him changed, and he has to now react to it. But he himself is still the same guy. Okay. You know, he's he. There's that he has that line about you know when the world pushes you, you just you know something along the lines of you stand there and say well, no or whatever. War. That's from Civil War. That's uh, Peggy's line, which was originally right. Captain's line in the uh, book. I I hate that they gave that to her. I really do. <laughs> in any case. Um, but it could also of... be said that he's not the one who has to change. It's the surrounding factors. He's the right. catalyst that helps to cause the change. Right. Whereas Civil War, he is a changed man by the end of it. He is sort of, he, he is beaten down by the end of Civil War. He's like, I, I got, you know, I'm, I'm going to keep going because that's who I am. But the, I, he has, a, he has some difficulty with the world who ha that has betrayed him and he nearly kills Tony by the end of that movie, which is not something he would have done at the beginning. Eh, um, he doesn't get that close to killing him, which is the, which is the point. Hey, hang on, hang on. No, that's the point of that scene is Tony is about to kill them. Mm -hmm. Steve is I mean, never Steve is I never mean, out of control. The bit with the shield, the implication is that you know he he's having a moment. 
Um, the implication is he could have and is still there and is still himself enough to deliberately choose not to. In any case, your your point is taken that many times the Marvel, the Marvel arc is more of a bump and not necessarily yeah. an and, and, and again, like I said, that's an oversimplification to lay it exclusively at Marvel's feet. But right. since Marvel's doing the serialized movies, mm-hmm. that's that happens a lot. That happens a lot in television. You know, characters don't really change. Uh, and it's, uh, I mean, now I think the, the big trope nowadays is, you know, the inciting incident that pushes them to regress rather mm-hmm. than you know, rather than some kind of big call to action. You know, you can call it the John Wick effect if you feel so inclined, I guess. <laughs> well, the uh, the point that I wanted to get back to was it was nice to see Brad Pitt sort of play an, uh, give an yeah. understated performance, give kind of like a hippie Zen uh, feel to his character but still be able to kick ass. Um, I think it also sends like a, a nice message that you don't have to be, you know, a, a big, a big meaty man slapping meat and, and be all, you know, testosterone to be an ass kicker. You know, you can be somebody who, who, who wants peace, but is prepared for war. So it was nice. Um, I also like the fact that, you know, with, with Tarantino's mob type movies and some others, everyone's cooler than the other side of the pillow, just cooler than Jesus. And I never got that with the assassins on the train. You know, Aaron Taylor Johnson, absolutely a professional there to do a job, but he doesn't present as jazz cool as so many do, where it's a little fetishized. You know, we like we oh, he's... anyone that commits a crime is just it's just the coolest thing ever. No, he, he did let them both like they they actually stumble, like they screw up all mm-hmm. the time. And it's re- like you said. It's refreshing to watch, you know, our not protagonists but other featured players. Like mm-hmm. no one here is hyper competent. They've all they're good at what they do, but they've got blind spots. They've got right. hiccups. They've got things that they screw up. Zazzy Beats is a little stylized, um, but it's, she's, she's, she's there she's, for three minutes. I bet it was like, but she, but she's just, she's not so much a part of the movie that I cared. It was, yeah. it was one of those like it was like a professional wrestling moment. Where like you 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 know it's like a royal rumble kind of a thing. You send down this really colorful character who you know too cool, too cool runs down. They do their dance and then Brock Lesnar throws him out. <laughs> like that okay. that was kind of her character for me. Well, uh, there is Joey King's prince, and um, she- yeah, I thought she she her role was fine. I mean, I thought her performance was competent enough. Um, she nails I, that British accent. I mean, she does, she does. I mean, she's not a British ac- actress. I, I talked about the stylization of the principal photography. Um, again, it's the action sequences are very stylized, very dynamic, very artsy. Uh, everything else is just sort of we're shooting a movie here, pal. Um, <laughs> let's, just, let's, let's get to the next scene. Um, it's way too long. This thing needed uh, this thing needed about thirty minutes chopped off of it, um, and. And here's the thing: I even if you want to leave it the length that it is, there there might have needed to be a little bit more connective tissue between the yeah. antics on the train and the stuff with Michael Shannon. That that's where the movie starts to drag for me. Um, and then the final sequence where they crash the train, it felt a little start stop start stop for me. It would you know we would start to get into it and then they would move away from it and then they'd get back into it again and and then even the crashing of the train itself seemed seemingly just went on forever. Yeah, the they're trying to juggle too many balls at the same time and the director 
clearly not his strong suit. Yeah. But overall, um, you know, <clears throat> I always judge the movies like this when I take my kids, kind of judge the movie by was this able to entertain an 11 year old and an eight year old? And it was. Although even my son at, at, at times would sort of look at me and go, is this movie ever going to fucking end? Um, you know, my daughter seemed engaged the entire time. But uh, my, my son, there were times was like, this is still going, you know, and I asked him what he thought when it was over. And he was like, I liked it. I liked all the fighting. Like, of course you did. You're an eight year old boy. Um, my, my daughter loved the Japanese version of I Need a Hero. She was like in the seat, like <laughs> dancing and just wiggling. She, uh, she was having a grand old time. I will admit I did like some of the Japanese cover songs and how they were yeah. used for this. Nice yeah. touch. I, that, yeah, I, I agree. I that, think the that music opening definitely made, me, made a good role. That opening bit reminded me I need to go find that uh, metal cover of Staying Alive that I like. Last thing, um, and I'm actually going to throw it to my son for this. Uh, my son said his favorite part of the movie was that the water bottle got its own story. The fact that it started as the one that was stuck in the vending machine too, like that yeah. was that was actually pretty good. Yeah, that was cute. And again, I don't know if if the book does that or if that was sort of an, a, a choice by the screenwriters and the director. But if it was, brava, <laughs> well done. <clears throat> All right, anything else before we go? I think that's it for craft. Again, if you think you'll enjoy the ride here, you probably will. All right, and with that said, here comes the money. All righty. Uh, good. It actually entered the screen this time. Uh, this had a budget of $90 million. At the time of recording, this is the Tuesday after, uh, it has made $65.1 million. So this will end up probably being profitable. I think it... Uh, I mean, given the, given the utter lack of content for the month, it'll probably cross that particular line. Yeah. Um, it's not going to smash it, but it'll cross it. It'll, it'll be a, it'll be a nice little you know tidy profit for Sony. Uh, as of August eighth, twenty twenty two, Bullet Train has grossed thirty two point seven million in the U S. and Canada, and thirty two point four million in other territories for a worldwide of sixty five point one million. In the United States and Canada, Bullet Train was released alongside Easter Sunday, which bombed. Uh, it was projected to gross oh twenty six to thirty million in over four thousand theaters. Its opening weekend, the film made twelve point six on its first day, including four point six million in Thursday night previews. It went on to debut at thirty million, topping the box office. Men over 35 made up a third of the audience at 37%, with 46 being Caucasian. You know, when you give white men what they want, the world is a much better place. <laughs> Aren't you glad you joined us tonight, Alexis? <laughs> I potentially it's benefit like you want to from keep alienating. I was okay, you want to keep alienating at least a third of our audience. Go for it. I, do. I potentially benefit from that sentiment, and even I'm not going to touch that one. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, for the weekend of August 5th through the 7th, Bullet Train was your number one movie of the weekend, which I thought it would be. Uh, yeah. It knocked DC Super Pets from one to two. Oof. No, 50. which apparently is part of a trilogy. All right, go back. You were talking about DC. 52% drop when you opened soft to begin with. Yeah, this was a... This is, but this is why they're on their like fourth or fifth leader now, and you know fourth or fifth fucking film strategy. I, I mean, Jesus Christ! I, I mentioned it in our group chat. DC and Warner Brothers it feels like it's being run by a schizophrenic drunk. You know, they just they they can't even get out of the shoot anymore without having to be like, oh, this is not working. <laughs> like, okay, 
I mean, this is not how you run a film studio, but hey, what do I, I know? I'm just an asshole I podcaster. For, on, I forget who I saw say this, but somebody, I saw this somewhere. You know, DC needs to kind of abandon this project. Look, the, the superhero trend in movies is going to burn itself out in mm -hmm. the next 10 years, give or take. That's just the cyclical nature of film and the market. Not That's not me predicting the death of, and not me poo-pooing Marvel or anything, but mm -hmm. this is an observable phenomenon. You got 20-ish years, 20-ish years out of this whole endeavor. It's really good, but it's not its not going to last. This is not some giant overarching paradigm shift. It will burn itself out. Things will shift. They always do. And it's going to take DC at least half that period of time just to try and build back goodwill, even if they were batting a thousand with their releases, which they're not. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, they, one of the things you got to remember about DC is they burned up a lot of goodwill as it is. So much. Like, yeah. so much. Kind of surprised we haven't uh, put on the schedule the show just to discuss Warner Brothers, Discovery, and DC shooting themselves in the foot. The foot if they're lucky. Very true. All right, moving on. Um, nope, which is now going to be a trilogy for whatever reason. That dropped okay. from two to three. Thor, Love, and Thunder, three to four. Minions, four to five. Top Gun, uh, which is now eke eking its way towards knocking Infinity War out of the uh, top spot of the box uh, the box office. Where the Crawdads sing, six to seven. Easter Sunday debuted at eight. Yikes, debuted. Universal. You might have... <laughs> Universal, man. You got Peacock, which is not a real service. I did the thing. Um, you yeah. might as well have just hey, thrown that on Peacock. Look, look, here's the other reason I know Peacock's not a real service. What's the other reason Peacock's not a real service, Robert? It you won't let me live stream television as a general rule. Like I can't actually watch Monday Night Raw streaming live on Peacock. Okay. If this is your big selling point is we have access to this huge library of professional wrestling related content and fair enough, people like that. But you can't watch the weekly show live there. What the hell are you doing? Um. All right. Minions drop from four to five. Oh, I did that already. Elvis, seven to nine. Black Phone, eight to ten. Jurassic World, uh, nine to eleven, which I think now is available on disc uh, with extra Somewhere. footage. Yeah. Uh, Vengeance. Extra footage. We need more extra. We need extra footage of Dominion. <laughs> ten to twelve. Mrs. Harris goes to Paris. Eleven to thirteen. Marcel, the shell with the shoes on, state of 14. Bodies, bodies, bodies from our favorite studio, our favorite indie studio, A24. No, A24 is dead to me now because of this movie. For Because of bodies, bodies, bodies? Yep. Just why, because, why, of why? Pete because of Pete Davidson. Yep. Why, why, why? Because they gave Pete Davidson money. But but he's a Hollywood actor. And no, no like he's him. not. No, he is not. He's a Saturday Night Live performer who got to rail Kim Kardashian. There's a difference. I, I feel like we've hit some sort of religious phenomena here with you two. Look, I, if you like Pete Davidson's comedy, I can't help you, but fair enough. He's not an actor. feel like we're splitting hairs. No. Hey, I'm, some of us enjoyed watching his head go splody in the first 10 minutes of the Suicide Squad. I some, understand of us would, you... some of us would find the, the real live <clears throat> snuff film featuring him, if at all possible. Okay, I'm going to move this along. So Bodies, 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 featuring our formerly favorite studio, A24, debuted at 15. They'll recover uh, when they finally release Has Been Hotel. Right, Robert? Fucking weirdo. That'll help. 
Paws of Fury uh, dropped from 12 to 16. <laughs> oh, Nickelodeon and Paramount. Uh, Hanson Rising, 15 to 17. Everything, everywhere, all at once. Still in the box office charts. Uh, 13 to 18. Hallelujah. 19. Uh, Lightyear. Speaking of bombs. <laughs> that that just got released onto Disney+. Plus. Yeah. Dropped from 16 to 20. Uh, I love my dad, kind of. Um, they <laughs> viewed not, 22. The kind of is not part of the film title. <laughs> no, but I think that actually would be an awesome title for a movie. I love my parents, kind of. Uh, and then Clay Dream debuted at number 29. Well, Chris uh, Rock had that I Think I Love My Wife movie. Yep. All right. Uh, worldwide, Top Guns at 1.3 billion. Jurassic World Dominion has shot up the charts. It has shot past Doctor Strange. It's oh, not the people shot. At, it crawled uh, past Doctor Strange. <laughs> the people at Disney are going to plot. Um, this has not been a good year for Disney, yet they're not really writing yeah. off their movies as tax deductibles. Because they don't they want also, the... Uh, they also get no, no. merged. They, they also didn't mer- merge with another company whose CEO is Michael Douglas from Wall Street. Why are you wrecking this company? Because it's wreckable, that's why! Love uh, that line. It, it, it's true, it's a good line. No, uh... Hmm. They, they also don't want the bad optics that would come with that, so their stock can't really take a giant hit at the moment. Um, Doctor Strange drops to three. Batman 4. Minions has risen to five at 760. Good on you, Universal. You know what? Uh, Minions is going to beat the Batman, and I'm going to be happy about that. <laughs> Thor at uh, number six. Watergate Bridge at number seven. Fantastic Beasts dropped to eight. And Sonic, which just got uh, its date announced for December of, uh, I think, 2024. Mm-hmm. Um, it'll be a Christmas movie. I'm still calling my predictions for who's going to voice Shadow the Hedgehog. It will either be Chris Pratt or Chris Pine. I'm putting my money on it now. So Sonic the Hedgehog 2 is at 401. Our luck, it'll be Pete Davidson. Uh, Elvis Sarah... is at... With our luck, it'll be Pete Davidson. Elvis <laughs> yes. is at 251. <laughs> Alright, here are all the movies that are currently ahead of Morbius. Elvis. <laughs> <laughs> what, a, what a sentence. Hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Too cool to kill. Nice view and the lost city. Here's all the movies Morbius is currently beating. The Black Phone, Scream, Damn. Death on the Nile, The Roundup, Triple R, Nope, Everything Everywhere All at Once, Downton Abbey, KGF, Dog, and DC League of Super... Oh, sorry. DC League of Super Pets, Jackass Forever, and Where the Crawdads Sing. There's your top 30 movies for the worldwide gross, you lucky so-and-sos. Amazing um, how everything... More people need to Morbius. go see everything everywhere all at once. I cannot lose out to Morbius. It's going to lose out to Morbius. It's okay. All right. <laughs> um, so we are not reviewing anything in wide release next week because there's nothing. We have Mac and Rita, which is being put up by Gravitas. Summering, which is Bleecker Street. And... Uh, I hadn't even heard oh, of Paul and uh, Mac and Rita until today when I saw their posters at the movie theater. All right, so there's nothing for August 12th. So instead, the other movie that came out this past weekend was a stream, was straight to streaming. It was on Hulu. It was the Predator sequel, uh, Prey. We will be reviewing that a week from tonight. Um, August 19th, the big wide release is Beast. But instead of doing Beast, because I will be away and I won't be able to see it, we're going to do The Gray Man, uh, though I'm sure Beast will be the number one movie of that weekend. And then August 26th, uh, the wide releases are The Invitation, which I've seen um, some trailers for. It looks interesting. We've got a got... trailer for that before. 
interesting observation majority of the movies that got trailers before this at least when i went to go see it today were all black led dramas mm. uh the woman king with viola davis black panther 2 the God, invitation that, so bad. that woman uh, king these- movie is gonna bomb hard no, it was just something I observed. It was like that those were the mm-hmm. four trailers that I got before this movie. No, I, I I believe you. I just I I just needed to say, I don't know who thought greenlining the Woman King was a good idea for wide release and not like in you know and not try to sell that to a streamer. Like who do they think is gonna see unless that budget was real like ten million dollars? I don't know why they thought that thing was gonna make money in this yeah. culture, in this climate. I didn't get a trailer for Black Panther. I got a tra- what was the other trailer I got ahead of this? I got Smile, which yeah, oh I did. There was also a trailer one. for Smile and the Menu. Uh, Robert, do you want to review the Menu when it comes out? I did not get a trailer for that, so I don't know anything about it. But right. so real quick, um, so again, as far as wide releases go, there's not get much a trailer in- for Till though. Uh, there's not much in the in the uh, way of anything in August, but however, the new Stallone movie that's a, a superhero movie. Uh, comes out on Amazon Prime on August 26th, and we will review them on the 30th. So the next three movies are all streamers, Prey, The Gray Man, and Samaritan. And then um, we're actually going to take a break, and Alexis and I are finally going to get to upload season two. So the next actual in-theater movie that we'll be reviewing on Damn You Hollywood will be Dark Harvest, which comes out September 9th. So yay! Fuck you, it's August, September. <laughs> <laughs> Do you guys, I'm trying to remember, has August always been the dead month or did yes, they officially pretty move? much. Because we always joke about how February was the dead month and then Deadpool completely changed that. Yeah, so, so. The, the, way it was, the way it was, was it was May through July was always the, your biggest months and then December. Like the end of November, December were, uh, were your big movie times. Everything else was kind of dead. Um, and then summer started bleeding into August for a little while and then it started bleeding back into March. And this is why Damn You Hollywood ended up becoming all year long because yeah. there was no summer because it used to be the summer review series. And then it's just nothing was in summer anymore. Everything was all over the place. Um, even January, like we used, we it used to be fuck you. It's January. That used to be the graveyard of, uh, of movie projects. Well, and even January started getting some really good wide yeah. releases. You know, it was yeah. like. February, was, definitely not quite the graveyard. It used to be August mm-hmm. is now just. Well, like I said, I I still say February was a graveyard. Deadpool has changed that. February is no longer a graveyard thanks to that movie. Yeah, I would I would say you probably your two deadest months, not counting last year or the year before, are probably August and September. Those are pretty consistently terrible. Um, I mean, you, you got to think about like uh, depending on where you live in the in the country, kids are going back to school. People aren't going to the movies as much. People just spent the entire summer going to the movies. They want a break. They're not like us who like watch everything people like need a break from this stuff so and then you know october is halloween you get your you know all your horror movies and stuff like that that becomes a big month and then you're into the holidays with november and december and then the whole cycle starts all over again late september does get a decent amount of horror releases so Mm -hmm. certain years september can get a bit more of a punch if they've got a good release coming out the other thing september is known for is it's oscar month you yeah. know, um, it's a, it's the well, I think it's the last month you can release something that can be nominated for an Oscar for the fo- for the coming up uh, ceremony. Um, I was under the impression the you hadn't. I was under the impression you had till literally the end of the year if you could get something released before December thirty first. I, I think the I think my understanding is 
because nothing gets released in September, that's when everyone likes to do it. Because now, because if you do it in October, you're competing with much more um, popular wide releases. And then again, d- December and November, you've got you know your holiday months, and not a lot of people are, are going to the movies for Oscar bait. You know, they're going for the big bombast. In any case, that's the money. Uh, let us move on to the critical review. Are you ready? Uh, the critics didn't love it. Uh, they gave it a 54 <clears throat> based on 253 reviews. Bullet trains, colorful cast, high-speed action are, are almost enough to keep things going after the story runs out of track jerky. Uh, but the audience thought it was just fine at 78. That's about <clears throat> right. That's about the split you'd expect. Just fine. What do you think about this, Pogo? It's just fine. Um, <clears throat> all right. Rendy Jones of Rendy Reviews. It's nice to know that Chad Stilisky uh was the true mastermind behind the first John Wick and not Leech. Leech, whatever his name is. <laughs> uh you know that's a that's a somewhat fair sentiment, believe it or not. If you look at what made John Wick work, there's a bit of a question about which of those two kind of contributing factors which part each one contributed. And knowing which which part contributed which element of success is actually helpful going forward so you can kind of parse out what you liked about that particular film. All right, this one's for you, Alexis. Linda Cook of Our Quad Cities, WHBF TV, Illinois. It's off the rails in mostly a good way. Cute. <laughs> uh, Wendy Ida of Observer UK, top critic, best of the best. Bullet Train is infuriatingly pleased with itself, and ground zero for this implosion of self satisfaction is Pitt. Oh, get bent. What the hell? What? Because he was having, you know, credit. God to- forbid an actor have a good time in a role. <laughs> I've mentioned this before on the show that when you have actors in roles who are clearly having fun with their parts, it gets harder and harder to hate it. All of the actors in this movie genuinely look like they're having a good time. And I think yeah. it transfers. I think that's part of the reason we have fun watching it is because Brad Pitt, Aaron Taylor Johnson, all of them, they are giving their best and they're just loving it. I'll tell you who didn't have a good time. Susan Granger of SSG Syndicate. I imagine that's just her natural state of being. Get her, Robert. This may not turn out to be the worst picture of the year. This may not turn out to be... Hang on! This may not turn out to be the worst picture of the year, but it will come close! It's not even even close. (laughs) I'm I'm sorry, did she go see Morbius by accident? Shut up! Minus any character development, it's filled with chaotic, confusing, almost nonstop voices that become tediously boring. Now talk over each other. I reiterate, did she see Morbius by accident? <laughs> yeah, like this is look, if you didn't there's critiques to be made of this movie. And if you didn't enjoy it, fair play. I'm not here to police your fun. If you think this was the worst movie of the world, you have watched very, very little that's come out this year. This is not even close. Right. I was gonna say, uh, if you don't like action comedies, if you don't like shoot 'em ups, if you don't like mindless action films, no, you're not gonna like this. All right, uh, the future ex Mrs. Winfrey, Carlo Renata of the Curvy Film Critic, says, "You know, well, you've really got to figure out which. 
you know what I'm going to make you do? No, no. Here's what I'm going to make you do. You want to make this joke? You need to come up with the order. In which oh. order do I marry? I've already got that. Oh, I've already. You're the first. The the first. The most magical ex Mrs. Winfrey is Lola Lamb Chops. But okay. then she. But then she leaves you as all women will. And then and you crawl into the arms That's of fair. the curvy of the curvy film critic. You nestle your face in her bosom, and she and she pats you on the back and tells you you're good. But because you need so much. <laughs> she has to keep giving you and giving you and suddenly she runs out of energy she says I can't I can't anymore with this one and she leaves running into the streets naked just just bereft of all emotional energy I that's Exorcist like Winfrey too. I feel like you're projecting <laughs> I, I have no idea what you're talking about yeah uh... <laughs> anywho I am not. I am not your self-insert into an autobiography, sir. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. Um, Carla yeah. Renata of the Curvy Film Critic. Bullet Train, though a familiar premise through the eyes of modern Japan, moves faster than a speeding bullet. Yes, the pun is intentional, Derheep. While reminding audiences, if you do and not control you your have fate, it will control me. you. And you have cast me as going to this person. Yes, Nestled someone who not bosom. only her ample someone... bosom. Someone who not only makes that terrible pun, but then has to, either for the sake of herself or her audience, expressly say, I did this on purpose. Wait a minute. Which one of you apparently just, uh, like, channeled Kevin Carr? <laughs> Shut up, Alexis. I'm just getting to that. <laughs> God damn it. Isn't that what you guys said? Oh, no. Oh, no. No, no. Not, not this. No. Anything but this. Here's why I'm saying, oh, no. He's making the same comparison I did. I That's know. what I'm saying. All right. Kevin I couldn't Carr, remember which one of you said I can't that. Even I bully said it. him. This feels like the bully's getting us back. Uh, the bullied <laughs> is getting us back, rather. Oh, my we've God. Been, we're now the victims of Operation Saturation Bombing. Kevin Carr, a fat guy at the movies, currently hitting both Robert and I with a slock, <laughs> says... It's like Quentin Tarantino and Guy Ritchie had a baby and raised it on pop rocks, pop rocks and hyperkinetic anime. Okay, the hyperkinetic anime bit is overplayed significantly given the, like, I've seen hyperkinetic anime, this ain't it. But, no, he's not wrong about, like, again, like, kind of the Guy Ritchie Tarantino mashup. Like, that's that's more or less right, accurate. Kevin Carr. If he had just could, said you, regular you, anime, I think it would have been more accurate than hyperkinetic yeah. anime. Kevin Carr, a fat guy at the movies. You got got over on this time. You know what? We're coming no, no, no. for you next time, buddy. I feel like he. I feel like he cheated off of us. I'm not sure how he pulled it off, but I'm pretty sure he did. He somehow went back in time after watching our video and stole your brainchild. He's got access to time travel. We could be very screwed. Well, he went forward in time, see? He went forward in time, stole our review, and went back in time and wrote it, and wrote it as his own. So now it looks like we copied him. This bullshit. The, Fuck the, you, the, Kevin Carr. We're on to you, buddy. <laughs> parasocial bullying at its finest. <laughs> Moving on. Nick Johnston of Vanyaland. It's almost as if the writers were making a stew. And somehow lost the ability to taste salt, adding tons and tons and tons of pinches after each sip of a spoon, leaving it unpalatable to anyone who tastes it. Okay, we know what you really wanted to write about, but what does that have to do with the film? You're not, if you're stretching that kind of an analogy that far, that's pretty poor writing. All right, 
Um, so I have, I just had kind of a transcendental like that I, you need to be reading AARP movies for grownups. No, <laughs> no, something else. But I'll get to it in a second. But right. I just, I just got brain cancer. Holy cow! Um, and I'll tell you why in a second. Right. But before that, here's for you, Alexis. Another one, another uh, drink at, at Mark's bar. Phil Villarreal of ABC Tucson. On this ride, you punch your ticket, and the ticket punches back. This is not a man who has ever been punched in the face and desperately needs to be. I'd say that, but that's the comment that got me kicked off of Twitter yesterday. (laughs) Hang on. What? (laughs) Oh, yeah. I got banned from Twitter for 12 hours. Eh. At this point, that's just a badge of honor. Uh, Wait, what'd you do? What'd you do? Oh, some troll at CPAP was uh, following a reporter for Vice around bullying her and recording the whole thing. And I simply commented on there. It's like, I can't believe that this reporter didn't punch his smug smile right off of his damn face. And they got you. They kicked you off. You you got put in Twitter jail for 12 hours? Yeah. Like literally two seconds after it's like, this violates our stand. You know, it's like our practices and standards. I was like, are you kidding me? One comment about punching a troll in the I, face did I, and did I, I get banned did i tell you when the, the one the two times i got put in twitter jail one was making a joke about jumping off the roof into an ordinary drinking glass observe and i got banned and i got twitter jailed for uh promoting suicide I you know like that. When, when you jump into an ordinary drinking glass like you do as a full-grown adult anyway i, I would have thought for alexis you would have thought that was especially funny since you know that right that's a robert mckimson joke of course i know that yeah. joke yeah i i got i got so I I'll was show you rel- what I'm going to do. I'm going to put this suitcase here upon the yeah. floor. Then I'm going to so open it. The- I know the I joke. was commenting about um, Adam Cole, baby. And I think Johnny Gargano. Oh, yeah, when they fell off the cage. Right. I, I, I love you. And they yeeted off the cage. Um, and so I joked Terrible about spot. And I joked about it on Twitter. And that's what got me put in uh, Twitter jail. The uh, other ne- one, next time we'll watch Johnny Gargano jump into a regular drinking glass. <laughs> Observe. But the other one I got was when I got my uh, one of my boost when I when I got my COVID shot. <laughs> I um, remember this. And I said I haven't turned into Godzilla or an or or a five G antenna. Yet. And they were like, and I got put into <laughs> yet, and I got put in Twitter jail for promoting false information about COVID. <laughs> I hate the over autom- automation of freaking social media. Here's the thing. I, I, I got, you know, I got uh, a warning on Facebook for threatening to punch a friend in the nose because he posted a Full Metal Alchemist Chimera can I, joke. Can I just Robert, you know exactly <laughs> what I'm talking about. Can, can I go I ahead and say, hang on, can I go ahead and say from, from the two combat sports guys, you're a little violent. Maybe you do need to like take a timeout. <laughs> what is wrong with you? Why are you threatening people all the time? No, 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 M- Mark. <laughs> If you don't understand the potential emotional trauma that comes up with people referencing at referencing that that poor poor creature, and you don't because you haven't seen the show in question, it's okay. Has your daughter started watching Full Metal Alchemist yet? Uh, maybe, maybe not. Amy Nicholson of the Wall Street Journal, and can I just talk about this for a moment? Sure. Can. Just know that when your daughter does start watching this, I hope you got your therapy bills ready to pay. Why do we live in a world where Amy Nicholson? Starts off wherever the hell she did with, I think, Collider or Screen Junkies or whatever. Then kind of did her own thing. And somehow, 
through some twist of fate, through some uh, God hates me. I don't under how did Amy Nicholson get a job at the vaunted Wall Street Journal, Robert? I don't understand. It should tell you how. Look, the Wall Street Journal is not quite a former newspaper like the New York Times, but it's getting close. I mean, are we all just racing towards kitty litter? Like, is that what's happening here? Pretty much. All, all the newspapers are just, it's a race to the bottom? Because there's no reason to hire this broad. This, <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Former newspaper, Wall Street Journal, top critic. Uh, Mr. Leach's frantic distractions aren't those of a magician building toward a grand moment of prestige. He's simply a juggler trying to throw as many balls as possible in the air. I'd like to throw my balls in your... Never mind. Um, his act is all momentum. <laughs> fucking Amy Nicholson. I can't razzle, believe you almost derailed us for that. Razzle, uh, razzle, razzle. <laughs> fucking Amy Nicholson, Wall Street Journal. Wow, razzle, he, did it to him, he did it to himself. I didn't even have to do it this time. <laughs> um, nice little Yosemite Sam segue there. I, I mean, she's not wrong. And I mean, we referenced this. Like, there's parts where it feels like he's not, he's struggling with keeping everything balanced properly. But uh, I also don't think I think that's a bit unfair to pretend that there's no prestige payoff to the end of this picture either. I, I do think that's a bit much. All right, Alexis Haynes' uncle, Uncle Lenny, Len Leonard Malton of LeonardMalton.com. Uh, old critic. man Leonard. Yep. You're just never gonna let it go because he does commentary on my Looney Tunes DVDs. Bullet Train is never boring, and it certainly moves, but it's like an overdose of action. Movie making, much sound and fury signifying nothing. This should have been more fun. Aw. Aw, oh, Uncle Lenny. Oh, you're desperately trying to quote Shakespeare and and, and a failed attempt to add gravitas to your point of view. When, you know, that's just pathetic. That is very, that's a very pathetic, please, please, please pretend I'm more intellectual and important than I am. To Especially that quote, just for the record. Especially that quote. Anthony Lane doesn't like anything, and he works for former uh, magazine New Yorker. Top critic. The vaunted it New, New Yorker. Yorker. Um, that, really, that really, just in all of its, in all of the New Yorkers, vaunted history just really wishes it were Bostonian. In truth, the only soul to emerge with any credit from Bullet Train is Brad Pitt, who drifts through the tumult in a haze of unbothered charm. Oh, that's not true. Like, that's just flatly not true. Aaron Taylor Johnson does a very good job and comes out looking very, very well for what he does in this film. That's I thought all of the actors had a lot of charm to them. I thought, again, I thought everyone did a really good job. Right, two more here. Um, vaunted uh, professional critic Jeffrey Harris of... The famed historic 4-1-mania.com. Hey, Jeff. Hi, Jeff. Bullet sorry, train is sorry your car got broken into this week. Oh, did Ooh, it really? Ouch. In Yikes. his garage, actually. Oh, shit. Are you kidding me? Nope. Yikes. How? <laughs> yeah. What did um, they steal? Oh, no, my God. I, he didn't get into the specifics, but <laughs> yeah. Bullet Train is a wild, irreverent, action-packed ride with impressive visuals and a high body count. This film is a fun night out and entertaining surprise for the late summer movie season. Thanks, Jeff, for weighing in. Moving on. Um, I, I take only minor issue with the fact that the body count for this is actually shockingly low. Yeah, well, there's not that many bodies in the movie. Yeah, uh, I, I, that's my only gripe there. But yeah. the, the thrust of what he's saying... I will say the body count accurate. doesn't go up until you get the uh, red shirt henchman at the end with all yeah. of the uh, devil masks. 
Stephanie Zasherick of Time Magazine Top Critic. It's our final one for the evening, and it's a doozy. Time. Former magazine, Time Magazine. You Former know an action movie. <laughs> you know an action movie is bad. Do you know? Do you know Robert Winfrey? Do you know when an action movie is bad? Well, I'll tell you when an action movie is bad. According to Stephanie Zasherick of Former Magazine Time, you know an action movie is bad when it saps your will to live. Look, you I, had no will to live in the first place. As someone who has struggled with his will to continue. <laughs> Sorry, as, Robert, I had to say before you No, did. you were you were fine. And as someone who has had movies sap my will to live. And many of them reviewed on this show. <laughs> yeah, many, no kidding. Many. Many, <laughs> of many were, more to come. Many of which were positively reviewed by that person, I am sure. <laughs> Your, whatever gives your life purpose and meaning to the extent that it has either, and that's a dubious proposition, but I'll give you the benefit of the doubt. Uh, to the extent that you're, that anything attacks the purpose and meaning of your life is a profoundly personal thing, not a basis for criticism on that scale. Shame on you. Shame. All right. And speaking of shame, that wraps up Damn You Hollywood. Uh, next week we will be reviewing Prey. Hey, I have finally reached the point where I'm only doing this twice a week. On the, well, there's the occasional third thing here or there, but for the most part, I'm down to two shows a week, and only one will be uh, will be live streamed. It's this one. This is it. This is this is the show. I used to do this seven days a week, people. One show. Um, second show is on Thursdays. We'll do a Metal Hammer of Doom extra, but that gets uploaded after it gets recorded. And then the audio for the Metal Hammer of Doom proper uh, goes up after that. So uh, this week it is uh, Soulfly, Totem. We did the Metal Hammer of Doom extra last week on that, where Jesse and I talked about meeting up in Cleveland. Uh, this week we'll be doing something for Five Finger Death Punch. And I'll talk about, Alexis, get ready, because I know you've been dying to hear this. All right. I, 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 you have been sliding into my DMs. Asking me questions, and I keep saying, wait, wait for me to talk about it on the Metal Hammer of Doom Extra. I will be discussing in vascular detail our trip to the nude resort. You're finally getting the answers you request. Stop looking at me like that. You know it's true. I I see you. Um, no and why. everyone saw me uh, at the nude resort here in the Tampa Bay area. I'm glad I had dinner before I got on the show. Shut up your face. Uh, yes, Robert. <laughs> no one. <laughs> ever has asked you for details about this. You're going to give them. I have no doubt about it. Vascular detail. But let's not pretend that any yeah. like Jesse might have asked you politely to continue your rambling. No one is there is no audience for this. There's there no audience. Our entire audience has no, been no, no. breathlessly there waiting are... for me. Well, <laughs> hopefully when you go into graphic detail vascular detail as you put you? it, this time you at least get your kids out of the room. That's never gonna happen. Um, and I have to real quick. Hang on, hang on, hang on, real quick. Right. So, so we did the Metal Hammer of Doom extra. We we talked about Cleveland or whatever, and then um, and then we went and we did the uh, audio for uh, Lordy Masterpiece from the Moon, and it was going to be a short review. We knew it was going to be a short review. We had been, we started late. We were up late. There wasn't that much to say about it. We figured we're going to wrap this up in thirty minutes. Thirty minutes into the review, we hadn't heard a stitch of music or even talked about Lordy. Because Robert Cooper had to teach us about soaking. Okay? And I didn't know what it was. And Jesse only found out about it like last week. And so we had to discuss uh, in great detail, vascular detail, if you were, 
the uh, the nuances of soaking. And because my wife listened to the podcast while she was preparing her classroom and was sending me text messages like, y'all are sick. What's wrong with you? And I couldn't remember what we talked about. I your, played it in my car. Your wife is listening to that on public school property. <laughs> Correct. Um, but that's not the punchline. The punchline is because I couldn't remember what the hell she was talking about. It had been too long after. or I just put it out of my memory or it didn't register with me. You I'm had in to the car it all over again. No, no, no. I'm in the car driving with my children. Okay, <laughs> taking them back and forth to bullet train, and they're like, and, and I'm hearing myself discuss in graphic detail soaking and everything therein. And there's my kids, just like my son's cracking up in the car. I don't know what half of what you're talking about, but it's Why? darn funny. Okay, no, no. I beg of you. I, here's the only question. Here's the yes. only question I'm going to ask you. The only one. Yes, sir. Okay? This is it. As soon as that segment starts and your memory <laughs> begins to trigger, like, uh -huh. oh, right. <laughs> you could have stopped I that podcast. Could have. I really Why? could have. Why did you torment your poor children <laughs> with this? Because, well, look, look, my son, fan of classic comedy <gasps> that he is, I actually taught him the Andrew Dice Clay hour, hour back segment from the day the laughter died and now he and now he, you are going to get so many calls from the school when when he goes back to school i yeah, hope so i told many. him day one he needs to be in class going day hey teach hey teacher when is recess is it in 15 minutes or an hour hour back get it i'll call you back in an hour back get it i and here's the thing day like, one they're going to ship your son to you at the jail <laughs> First ever eight-year-old tried as an adult. Um, <laughs> he, would not, he would not be the first ever eight-year-old tried as an adult. Fair enough. Um, I, I taught him that bit in Cleveland to annoy his mother. He hasn't stopped since. He's the you, He is my child, and I love him. You, you gave him a gun. Is what you did. <laughs> and you're and surprised that he won't stop shooting? Spray it everywhere. Everywhere. Anyway, my daughter, um, slightly more mortified, turned to me. Turned to me. This this child who does not appreciate the nuance of romance. This child who is uncomfortable with the overt sexual nature of her parents oh, turned to me and said, "I'd imagine why." Is there a reason you need to discuss this publicly? <laughs> <laughs> Your daughter is correct. Your <laughs> daughter said, is like Sylvester Jr. It's like, father, you have to set limits. <laughs> and I said to her, dear child, if I don't talk about soaking publicly, who will? Also, it's fucking funny. It's fucking funny, man. Give her a paper bag and have her go, oh, the shame of it all. <laughs> Dude, if I gave her a paper bag and, told her, and taught her, oh, the shame, she totally would do it. Do it. <laughs> that, that needs to be your next TikTok thing. Like you doing whatever you do on TikTok, and then you just cut to her putting the bag on her head going, going Oh, the oh, shame. The shame. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. All right. Thank you. Thank you for contributing to my nonsense. I've speaking given of you, look, I gave you something that might go viral. All right. Speaking of contributing to my nonsense, that wraps up Damn You Hollywood. Alexis Haina, I hear you sell jewelry and paint houses. 
Yes, I do. Honeysuckle Rose Creations, where fashion meets fandom at the intersection of geek and chic. We've been restocking our online stores. We just added a ton of Monopoly bracelets to Etsy, along with a couple of new items. Uh, I have found out the hard way that apparently Etsy no longer allows uh, anything with the words Hellfire Club to be sold on there because literally less than a minute after I put it on there, I got an email saying, you've been selling, a, it's like you tried to sell a prohibited item. It's like, geez, you use that kind of language. You think I was selling brass knuckles or something. But uh, Probably easier to sell brass knuckles. I was going to suggest cocaine. Okay. Yeah, another, another 10 years, it'll be legal. I hope. Well, either way, I sell jewelry, not cocaine. <laughs> Yeah, and paint houses. Paint houses. <laughs> so anyway, we're getting ready for the uh, Colorado Springs Comic Con. Uh, we love doing that one. Looking forward to going back to that. Uh, we are working on a new collection of items that are going to be convention and wholesale only, made entirely out of Legos. I actually got a big collection of Legos over two months ago and i haven't had time to sit down and play with them i'm doing that after the show wraps up i'm putting on upload and i am going to go and enjoy myself and build stuff and then andre's gonna come in take my legos and start making fire jets because that's what he does all right you can find us on etsy handmade at amazon as always you can follow us on facebook instagram and twitter when I am not blocked on Twitter for saying that jackasses at CPAP should be so you, that. So you say it on our show. You didn't, I mean, to be to be fair, you weren't actually encouraging it. You were wondering why it hadn't happened yet. Yeah. So ma- so yeah, sure was, you... that was pretty much saying it's like, how is this reporter not smack this guy into oblivion? So make sure you're standing with you go see Alexis as she stands on the corner of uh, Geek and Chic. <laughs> with her leg out. I don't know. Standing I've on never the corner. Even seen you, you, my legs. You, dude, you and David Leach, just not subtle. <laughs> not subtle. Reaching. Speaking of reaching, Robert Winfrey will tell you about all the uh, combat sports he likes to write about. Well, that would be a much shorter series of plugs. <laughs> but this last week, I covered, prof- I covered professional wrestling a few nights a week for 411mania.com. This last week, I got a last-minute call-in to cover Monday Night Raw. That seems to be happening a lot lately. Eh, not really. Um, it's I get one or so a quarter, which okay. which more or less tracks with. I mean, again, I am I am perpetually on deck guy, not only for you, Mark. <laughs> so whenever the regular Raw live recapper Tony Acero has something come up. I get asked. And if I say no, someone else does it. If I say yes, then I do it. I did it this week. Um, thank God Vince McMahon is gone. <laughs> it's a better show and now. It's unbelievable. Like, I, I genuinely mean this. It is unbelievable how much easier it is to watch that show now. I might actually start doing it again, seeing as I don't have anything else to do on Mondays anymore. Um, and God willing, that Bucky Beaver toothed motherfucker Kevin Dunn goes next. Thanks, Jim. I hate that. I've never met that man, and I hate him. Okay, move this he along. Like, I want to yeah, go running. Yeah, he, seizure-inducing edits. Like he, uh, he edits my television. I, like I know. I've day. watched the show too. <laughs> Sorry, so, he's stuck in a loop. I am, and he's an idiot. To complete the Futurama reference. Um, 
Yeah, so I covered Monday Night Raw, and then after that got done, I reviewed AEW's Dark Elevation. So you can read those particular reviews in the Wrestling Zone of 411mania.com. If MLW drops something this week, I will cover it when it does. If not, I think they're not... I think they're off this month still, or end of the month they come back. I forget which one it is, but when they come back, I will be covering them, so be on the lookout for that on Thursdays. And Friday, WWE SmackDown, because... I agreed to, and I have no spine. (laughs) And Saturday, I cover UFC events. This last Saturday was a UFC event that featured all finishes, only 10 fights, 10 finishes. Still took them six hours of broadcast time from start to finish. Yeah, but uh, some good finishes. So if you want a comprehensive breakdown of that, you can read my report in the MMA Zone of 411mania.com, including live live round-by-round scoring and clips of the finishes. Or you can listen to the 411 Ground and Pound MMA podcast, which I host. I went over all the results of that. I previewed the upcoming event. That will be this Saturday, UFC on ESPN 41. They're back in San Diego. Great main event. Somewhat lackluster supporting card, but uh, them's the break sometimes. I will be covering that on Saturday. So if you're interested, please stop by. And yeah, back next week where we will talk Prey, all the ways it goes wrong and how it's not quite as bad as we all feared it was going to be. And when we get to yell at critics for filleting this thing. All right. Speaking of filleting, thank you for joining us here on Damn You Hollywood. <laughs> had my first sarca- had my first sarcastic fan post the other day about Robert. What you do is my favorite thing to sexually pleasure myself to. Awesome. I it's not getting any better than that. Be well, be safe, and behave. 